Hi, I'm Robert Gowan, and you're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. And joining me as co-hosts today are Mike Pretz and Kat Kalen. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Robert. Doing good. Good, good. Our topic today is going to be on military and how they make better entrepreneurs. And we'll explore that with our guest host today. So tell you a little bit about him. Matthew Griffin, or a Griff, as he likes to be called, is the CEO of Combat Flip-Flops, a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point with a degree in engineering management. He served in the 75th Ranger Regiment as a rifle company fire support officer with three tours to Afghanistan and one to Iraq. Post-military, he moved to the private sector as the director of military sales for Remote Medical International and the director of special operations for Protect the Force. Welcome to the show, Griff. Appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, man, we got a uh, full show for sure. I know that something that's probably dear to your heart, having gone through and heard your story, and if you haven't had a chance to listen more about combat flip-flops and how Lee and Griff put this thing together, we'll probably end up touching a lot of that during the show today. But I encourage people to go out and check out Ted, uh, check out ABC Shark Tank, where you can really hear a lot about their story. But, you know, getting into that, I, I happened to do some statistical work, and I wanted to find out just what the uh, statistics show about how many veterans there are that are self-employed. And so what I came up with is that the Small Business Administration says veterans are 45% more likely to become self-employed when compared to non-veterans. I, I thought that was interesting in itself, that they're more likely. Why do we kind of think that veterans are probably more suited or we think they're more likely to get into becoming entrepreneurs? I think that veterans are more suited, more likely to become entrepreneurs because we don't want to be limited to our success. You know, basically, we, we know what we're capable of doing. And if you go into a standard workplace or environment, you typically hit ceilings based on standard conventions or time and grade versus, you know, most young guys are getting out of the military now. They just want to learn the information they can to take the next step. And I think it's it's been fed to us over the past 10 years, 15 years in the military that we want to take responsibility and go earn some more of it. And I think that's why people like being self-employed. I think, too, you know, we're motivated, disciplined. Uh, we have leadership skills already, probably even far beyond that of our private sector counterparts. And, you know, we're used to being managed in stressful or risk situations, working in teamwork and focused on missions or goals. And when you do all of that, you start looking and you go, gosh, do I really want to go work somewhere else and fall within maybe an area that's not quite as advanced of what I just left, especially if you came out of soft or SF community or something. And I think you're right, Griff. I think that they just kind of want to focus that energy and effort towards something that they feel they can accomplish. You know, I think not being limited is is key in what Griff said. You know, as you as you come out and looking just for for employment or a job or something that transition assistance puts you toward. And Robert, we've talked about this several times that a, a recruiting uh, guy or a hiring manager tries to put someone from the military in a specific box that they think fits corporate structure in their organization, and that's something that none of us, particularly soft guys, none of us want to do. As, as we leave the military, we don't want to be put in a box. We don't want to be limited. So I think that hits the nail right on the head. Griff, I have a question for you. Just with your experience of, you know, going out and being an entrepreneur and having the mentality, military mentality, regardless of conventional or SF, do you feel that vets, especially with the mindset that we have, can contribute more to society by starting their own businesses and not have to deal with the pressures of going back to the civilian sector? Um, I think if you do start your own business, it is it is going to be in the civilian sector. But I do believe that as veterans, you get out, you have leadership skills. And whether you're a Little League baseball coach or you run a bakery or you run an international business, 
you know, all of those things are going to help your community. And just having those leadership skills to be able to bring those people and your culture and your community together is, is really the most meaningful thing we can do for whether it's locally or domestically or internationally. You know, I also found that only, you know, we said 45% are more likely to become self-employed, but only 9% of companies out there are actually veteran-owned. I thought that number is either represented very low or that's just pretty striking, pretty amazing to me, because I would have thought there would be a lot more companies that are veteran-owned than that. I think it's, you know, the way the, the data probably comes through is all the guys who are you know, independent contractors and how they're considered self-employed versus actually running your own business. And that could be, you know, how the numbers are represented. Uh, we worked with Street Shares out of D.C. They're another veteran-owned business that does small business lending. Fantastic company. And they, uh, they put up a stat that roughly 50% of veterans coming back from World War II started their own businesses. But I think it's roughly 6 or 7% now do. So it's, it, it's really interesting to see the, the skewed change in 50 or 60 years, how veterans come back and don't start their own businesses. Yeah, that's a shame. And that's a really good point. Of course, you know, you, you come back in that time period and the economy was really thriving, too, on uh, supporting the military, supporting the, the front. Women were taking jobs that men left. You know, it's, it's kind of a shame that now in this environment, we kind of feel disconnected at times away from our military. We only see certain things on television. We're not really as much aware involved as we were during that time period. But then you've got these, uh, you know, veterans that are coming back and they're looking for these opportunities. And I think we we just, by the way, Griff, just concluded a podcast a couple of days ago on PTSD, MST, and TBI. And during that podcast, you know, it's, it's one of these things that we didn't get around to, but there might be, you know, a belief that's out there that a lot more veterans have these issues and there's the concern of whether to hire them and those types of things perhaps as well that comes with it. Yeah, I've got my own opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can certainly get into it. Well, I mean, I, I really just think that just how veterans talk to one another, just even in our own business. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who are outside of our business, they listen to the business owners talk to one another and they go, man, you guys must not like each other. You guys sound stressed. And between us, we're just calling it like it is. We're calling each other on our weaknesses so that way we can work through them and move forward. But if you do that in a civilian environment, you go, oh, that guy's got PTSD. He's just really right. angry all the time. And really what it is is the guy just wants you to do your job. Yeah. And that's a lot of how we communicate yeah. <laughs> with each other anyway while we're in the military. Correct. I think it shows more respect anyways. You know, you get kind of the brunt of the difficulties out of the way, and then you can just move on from it instead of, you know, the inner circle drama that comes with, you know, certain businesses. So I, I think it's a good idea to just put it out there. <laughs> I think there's something, too, about are they getting the information they need, you know, through the transition assistance program to be aware of how to write a business plan, how to secure funding, how to establish that strong network that's going to be needed of vendors or where to go for assistance and all that. I think there's a small segment that might be shared, but I wonder if that's enough to really entice them or do they have to have that passion well before they get to that transition assistance point? Well, I, mean, I think it just as a business, I was not ready to be a business owner. I'd always loved the idea of being a business owner, but when I got out going through the, the TAPS program or whatever it was at the time, I just wanted to be out of the military and I didn't want anybody in the military telling me how to run my life for the next 50 years. So no matter how sugar-coated they made it, yeah. I wasn't going to listen to them. Yeah, And, and it's, it's just the truth of it. And you talk to all the guys that are going through it and they go, I just want to get out of the military. I'm having a hard time turning my TA-50 in. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to listen to some guy tell me how to how to write a business plan. And yeah. typically when they write a business plan, it's going to get torn apart anyway. 
So what I really say is, yeah, it's going to be really difficult for anything for the government to do to encourage guys into entrepreneurship. Right. And you mentioned it a little bit, but I say your your network is your net worth. Is if you really want to do it, get out, find other business owners in the local area that are veterans, and just literally ask them, "Will you be my mentor?" You know, because in the warrior culture, mentorship is key. You know, if you find guys who are willing to train themselves to your skill level, you're typically willing to train them. Who did that for you? Like helped you establish yourself once you got out? I've had I've had several. Uh, when I got into sales, I found a couple former SF dudes. They just happened to be in sales, and I asked them, "Hey, you know, I'm new to sales. Where, where should I go to learn about this stuff?" And they they turned me on to a couple different sales programs. When I wanted to go pitch and find money, I found a couple different guys in the area that were in the financial sector, and I didn't know what a balance sheet was. I had no idea how to run a profit and loss statement. I heard that you uh, looked up books and everything in order to kind of understand you and Lee about how to run the business and all that. Uh, it was personalmba.com. It, it's just a series of books and you read it. And I mean, the way that I describe it to guys in the military is how often was it that somebody would hand you a new radio in the manual and say, hey, we're rolling in 48 hours. You need this thing to talk to the bird. <laughs> yeah figure it out. Yeah. So you were, you were ultimately prepared by your military service to do just that when you went into business. I mean, you were used yeah. to being on your toes, you know, being in, in the door was what you were, you were uh, kind of thrived on. And yeah. so doing it in the business was really no different. Yeah. Was, somebody goes, Hey, you've got to go and you got to figure out your retirement plan in 48 hours, you know, so that way you can roll over your 401k and take a loan on it to pay for business stuff. Like I've never done that before in my life, but man, I'm going to get on YouTube real quick and search <laughs> Google and I'm going to find it. And like typically, if you're motivated and you have something that you're going after, you can find the information that you need within you know, 15 to 20 keystrokes and a couple button clicks. Right. And if you're just willing to read the information, take notes on it and how it's applicable to your situation, and then execute, more often than not, you're going to be okay. Like a 90% solution, you're going to be fine. Right. Like if you screw it up, screw it up at least going in the direction you want to go. No, really good points. And yeah. I like the fact that when I started hearing about your mission statement, your mission statement doesn't really get into the products, to the widgets, or what it is that uh, you're going to make. I thought it was fascinating. For those that are not aware of it, it's to create peaceful, forward-thinking opportunities for self-determined entrepreneurs affected by conflict. I mean, you're That's really it. just wanting to empower others. That's kind yeah. of what your mission is. You know, I mean, the, the military taught me the value of a mission statement. And the fact that if there's, if there's no leaders standing around and you really don't know what to do, is if somebody reads that and they go, am I following the values that are written down here? And, you know, am I, am I making bold moves? Am I connecting to my community? Am I being respectful? You know, am I flipping the people's views on how wars are won? And then am I empowering the mindful consumer to manufacture peace through trade? If your actions fall in line with those values, no matter what you're doing, whether it's writing a business proposal or shipping product, it's part of the mission. That's what you're doing. I love it because yeah. I actually had a CEO in a past life that told me when we were working on that, taking a private company to a publicly traded company, he said, listen, I don't want value statements or mission or whatever that people have to carry in a badge or on the wall where they have to look at and reflect to decide what it is that we actually do and where we're going because then I've lost it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got to be something that's like what you're describing here, something that's part of you, something that you feel passionate about. And when you do that, you feel much more in line with the business and, and wanting to help them grow. Correct. So what motivated uh, you to, I guess, combine your business efforts and actually like helping Afghans and that whole side of it? Well, the women especially. 
Well, you know, I think we'd spent a number of years there, and a lot of people say it. You know, you can leave Afghanistan, but it never really leaves you. Yeah, I learned a lot in that country as a young adult, specifically empathy. And so I figure that I owe a lot to that country. And as well as I think we'd all worked pretty hard there, and we invested enough of it as, a, as service members and as a country to really see it through. And, uh, you know, the stupid last paragraph of the Ranger Creed is, you know, readily will I display the intestinal fortitude <laughs> to find onto the objective and complete the mission, right? And you're just watching what was going on there in the ground as a civilian after I'd left in the military, I knew they weren't going to complete the mission. And the only way to do it is to do it ourselves. You feel that them rebuilding themselves because, like, and I agree with you, where the mission isn't complete. And I don't think, I think that the approach that we're going, especially having worked with them, is not accurate. Um, it's more for show. But with what you guys are doing, and I've really looked into how, you know, women entrepreneurs and how they, I've watched, cannot remember the documentary, but the one where they started their own hair salons and makeup. Mm-hmm. And they actually brought in income to their families, and their families started to to thrive and they weren't having to go into either uh, prostitution or their husbands would have been killed so they you know they're left to the streets or what have you so with you you know building the women up to actually you know start something for them I think it's just absolutely incredible and what have you seen with I guess what you started for them like as far as success I mean a lot of people didn't understand like why you need to educate a woman you know you're a big knuckle-dragging ranger you know why, why are you preaching women's education and it's pretty simple is um in the Afghan culture, there's a saying that says, uh, a man will love his wife, but he'll always love his mother more. Right? It's because the mom stayed at home and took care of the kids while the dad went out and worked or fought. Right? So we're really what that shows is the mother is the most influential figure in, a, in any person's life, whether it's a male or female in that, in that culture. So if you educate that figure in that family, there is no way that she's going to let her kids be uneducated. And, in, and very quickly, within a generation, you can educate a nation. It's not very expensive, it's not very hard, and it's completely and totally feasible to do. So our thought is, is if we just focus on educating women, those educated families are going to create educated communities, and they're going to be very prosperous quickly, which is going to incentivize all of the other surrounding communities to do the same thing. And with, we feel within a couple of decades, it's, it's completely and totally feasible to make that change. What was it? Back in the 60s is when you know, women were not so oppressed. So now that, you know, I think that there's this image, especially with American culture, that we look at the women and the, the girls over there, is they just stay in the house, they don't do anything for the families, you know, the, the husbands are the ones that rule the roost, but in all reality, especially from what I've seen, once you come inside, the burka comes off and mom is like, she's running the house and doing everything to get everybody in line, so, you know, just changing that stigma and that viewpoint, I think is really going to help. And like you said, it's going to take a generation, but what is a generation, you know? So that, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And we've already been through one generation while we've been fighting there. Yes. It's pretty simple. I mean, a lot of kids were three years old when we first started there and now they're fighting there. You know, it's crazy when you think about that. And, you know, I was listening or watching one of the, I think it was through the blog, there was a video that was in there about the educational process and the school that's been developed where the women can get their education and go out and be prosperous. And just listening to them describe how fortunate they are to be able to have that capability was pretty amazing. I think there's some powerful things that you're talking about here and how you're showing how they can be empowered through education 
and by being a business owner or doing the things that they're passionate about. It's just like you said, it's kind of carrying on that torch to the next generation. Yeah, we look at it through uh, context, and context is your view or scope of how you view things. And you know, as Americans, we're really fortunate, and you know, you can be anything that you want to be. When you grow up, if you work hard, if you study, you can do whatever you want to do in this life. You know, there's after-school specials that show how people work through challenges, and you know, all of those things, all of those reinforcements, as, as young boys or girls that we get as a as a culture that enables us to to have that aspirational hope. They don't have that at all. So, Never. so Griff, have you seen any, <laughs> have you seen any change? You know, since you've started the your your programs there. You, I mean, any measures of effectiveness, anything that you've seen to show hope that that things are changing. I mean, I, the only thing we can say is we're we're putting more girls in school, we're putting more women to work, and then we're firing up new factories. And it's I mean, it's going pretty well. We've got actually got the attention of the Afghan ambassador to the U.S. I'm flying out to D.C. to meet him. Wow, that's and everybody awesome. there is is pretty pretty stoked on what we're doing and how positive it is and. You know, how have we just done it with grassroots with zero federal dollars to make it happen? That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's so. – <laughs> you know, yeah. I was I was watching too on a, a recent podcast that you were on here a couple of weeks back. I think it was the Shark Tank podcast. And uh, you were talking about as well how you have been able to take advantage of people that are going over there to help train them to evaluate the product uh, determine that the shipping is going to be good, all that type of stuff. So you've been really able to take advantage of not only what's there, but then, you know, the distance. I mean, the first thing that I thought of while watching the Shark Tank show was, holy crap, I mean, all of his vendors and suppliers, everything is all outside the U.S. So that automatically, in most cases, raises the cost due to shipping. And it was really interesting to learn about how you have been able to manage that with the, the challenges of the war and stuff that's going on as well. Got to figure it out. Right, nobody else is going to figure it out for you. You know, the, the greatest part is, I think that really, just as a veteran community, we are uniquely positioned to help these areas way better than any other government organization could. Because here you have junior level platoon leaders, platoon sergeants, you know, SF team leaders, and they know the roads getting in and out of a village. They know the drive times. They know the local mullahs. They've got all the. They know all the different cultural issues and the different tribes or where they're located, and they know them all down to their cell phone numbers. So if they wanted to go activate a network in a certain area to make a positive change, it would literally take them 15 to 20 minutes through their cell phone to figure out who they'd need to call to make it happen. And we just use that for our company. That's great. That's how you network. It's pretty much you have just unlocked all of America's secrets. (laughs) I mean, like when I need my driver, I just go to to a couple of my SF buddies and say, hey, I, I need a guy here for a few days. I need him to be trustworthy. Can I, I just need somebody to be my handler while I'm there and you know, be my fixer. And within 48 hours, I'll have a, a photo of the guy. I'll have his cell phone number, and he'll contact me via Facebook for link up. And then I'll have you know, really affordable, secure transportation in country, and we, we haven't had any issues. That's great. Wow. Yeah. So when you go into these villages, and what's your line to – I mean, if I were an Afghan woman, I would look at you like you're crazy. Like, what are, you don't want to help us. You want something. You know, you know how suspicious they are. So, I mean, how do you sell this to them? I mean, it, and it's so – it's so. I guess they're blessed to have this opportunity, but I know that they're like, why would you even – why are you even doing this for us? Yeah, a lot of people look at us like we're crazy. but really but i mean cash works right when you show up and you say hey i really want to buy 50 of these products from you i want them to look like this i'll pay you this much money for them and they go really and then they do it and you hand them the cash they go okay hey i'm gonna i'm gonna contact you via email 
Um, I'm going to send you a, a DHL shipping authorization sheet, and I'm going to every time I email you, I need you to drop a hundred of these items into a box and take them to DHL, and I'm going to pay you via Western Union. You, you cool with that? And they, you know, you send them a deposit, they get the cash, they go, wow, this is really a legit thing, and they, as soon as I ship it and get DHL shipping confirmation, the guy sends me more money. They're just going to keep doing that. It's opportunity. It's business. They don't want to stop that from coming in. So you right. went into a village and you found some cool flip-flops? Is that how this whole thing started? It was actually in a combat boot factory in Kabul. So, uh, you know, we built the ANA, the Afghan National Army, and the Afghan National Police. And very similar to the Berry Amendment where all the clothing and uniforms we wear as U.S. service members is made in the, in the U.S. When we built the ANA and the ANP, we said, hey, they have to be able to make their own boots and uniforms in country to sustain their own military. So they built all these beautiful factories in Kabul to support the military. And I just happened to be in there one day and saw hundreds of people working. And there on this table was a combat boot sole with a flip-flop thong punched through it. I thought it was cool and I thought we could use it to keep that factory going after the war ended. And I literally walked out of the factory, got in my car with my driver and drove back to my hotel and got on GoDaddy and registered the domain name, and that was it. That's how we started. That's a fascinating story because I, I actually heard that on that other podcast, and it kind of blew me away. Was that the prototype? I mean, was there anything from that that you took away to make, like, the AK-47 or any of your – no, it was just the idea, the concept. Wow. It was the concept, yeah, yeah. That, that people would like it. And our whole thing is making very cool, simple products. Yeah. Uh, da Vinci said is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So the, the least amount of construction or materials or product that we need in something, the more we're able to train people to build them faster and more cost-effectively, put more people to work. So instead of using an injection-molded boot line and all this other stuff, we really just wanted to go for layered EVAs, leather, and a sander to be able to put it all together. Yeah, that's, that's tremendous. And one of the things that you had talked about as well is that in kind of looking around, you've seen that there were all of these um, – opportunities there and i'm sure that there are probably going to be military guys that are listening to this that's going to go oh my god i seen plenty of things while i was there that i could now do just based on what griff just said he did in that situation probably some light bulbs are going to click on and one of the things though that is most challenging is surviving your first year or two of owning a business and you guys have been in business now what four years five years five four years, years. okay yep how did you succeed in that first year? It had to be really challenging because you came up with this idea. You didn't know a lot about the business. You had to secure probably your own funding. And I believe that you maxed out some credit cards or did some things in order to be creative and like most people do in an entrepreneur. So <laughs> how, did, how did you do that? Because some people just think they can walk in the door and they can just, you know, I got an idea. Somebody's going to buy it. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be able to take it through. And you did the first 4,000 actually yourself in your garage. Of the, the first yep. 4,000 flip-flops. Amazing. So how did you survive that first year? It must have been very challenging. Yeah, it was a lot of grit. You know, we had factories fail out from underneath us. We had entire bad runs of footwear. You know, we, we thought we'd had it made, and then only to find out we didn't. And as, as my brother Andy would say is, you know, everything sounds easy until you do it. Yeah, we, all of us work day jobs. Uh, so then we worked, you know, this on the side. So, you know, we're putting in, you know, 12 to 18-hour days. You tighten your belts, you eat rice and beans, you shrink down your budgets, and you use all available cash to feed into your business. And I'll tell you that we probably didn't do it in the smartest way when we were starting just because we did have side jobs and we weren't really feeling the pinch as much as we could, and it was kind of a good idea at the time. I think if we, we'd be a lot further ahead now if we understood our financials earlier and used our spending more wisely. 
But yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of sell it, build it, deliver it, make it, take the cash, do it over, rinse, repeat over and over again. And every time it just got a little bit bigger. No, you know, Griff, you, you said something there that a lot of my buddies that are getting out and starting their own businesses are doing and they're, they're funding it or financing their lifestyle using another method. And on the side, they're trying to start a business. And, and most of them are doing some type of independent contracting or 1099 work. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you would your advice then be to not to do that? I mean, if you can if you can avoid yeah, if you can do it all over that, again, just tighten your belt and then you know feel what the business is is earning as your income. It's going to be one or the other. You when you do it, you're going to need cash. I mean, cash is just really what drives your business. Cash is king, and you know we worked so that way we would have the cash to jump to our business. But it did get to a point to where we said, hey, I have six months of living expenses, you know, saved up. I need to be able to focus on my business because people will not commit to you until you commit to it. And so a lot of people looked at our business as kind of like, oh, it's kind of a cool novelty thing. Griff and those guys are still working other jobs. It's kind of a hobby for them. Until I left my job as a vice president of a company and jumped fully into it, people, you know, they really didn't take us too seriously. And then as soon as we did, that's when our business really started accelerating is because we were able to put full focus and energy into it. But I had to build up that buffer so that way I wasn't completely stressed out and making poor decisions as a business owner because I just didn't have cash or able to feed myself or my family. Yeah, You went into this whole thing a little bit different too. So, I mean, let's face it. Most people, when they start looking at a business, they look at the market segment and they go, okay, if I can just take 10%, 20% of that market segment, heck, if I can even take 5% of that market segment in flip-flops and I can make these because I think they're cool – then, then that'll give me X number of dollars. I don't think you went into that with a, that approach. It sounds to me like what you did is not trying to look at it as to how much of a marketplace you can steal because there are plenty of people out there that make flip-flops. You had a passion and a purpose that went beyond the business, so that drove you in a different way. I mean, it, I, at least I think it did. It sounds like it did anyway. Yeah, that, I mean, that whole market share argument is really ridiculous because as a, as a small business owner, for you to even touch that many people within that market specifically is damn near impossible. I mean, right. it's better than it ever was thanks to advertising and, and digital techniques now, but the whole I'm going to take 1% of this market share is it's a ludicrous argument and I think a way to analyze your business. Um, now it's you need to look at who your potential customers are and how do you reach them and then what are your conversion rates. And then how does that back out against your, your cash? And so our market was people in the military that we thought would want to buy our products because they agreed with our mission, right? And we only knew we only had, you know, a couple thousand pair to sell and a 2% conversion rate. We had to touch two or 300,000 of them with our message in order to sell all of those. So that's the method. We, we, we kind of took a reverse look at it. It's like, oh, how many could we make? Which means how many people do we need to talk to? Which is how we got into our marketing spend to figure it out. And then... We went out and targeted those people. We sold all the product, stopped targeting them, quit spending money on advertising, rebuilt the product, rolled over the cash, and then did it again. Wow, so that's, that's, that's a great way of looking at it, actually. And you're right. Most people do try to steal the market space without trying to think of it from a different perspective. And, of course, you mentioned that you know flip-flops are one of those things that are only going to be seasonal. So you started looking at diversifying. And certainly you know things like sarongs or wraps and those types of things goes with flip-flops, goes with bathing suits, yet you can wear them at other time frames. Jewelry can be another accessory or thing. So you started looking at how to accessorize that would take you beyond just that market which I think was another thing that it sounds like made you successful because you were able to keep the cash flowing over a 12-month period. Correct, yeah. You can't make money two to three months out of the year. you got to make money all year. 
Totally. So uh, I guess the next thing is bathing suits. Is that going to be kind of the next line? or? Man, I want to do knit bikinis so bad. <laughs> I really want to. I just have... We're just so full right now that I don't think I can deliver it this year. So you're year, totally but... serious. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally serious. Yeah, we're, we're right now, I'll let you guys a hint. We got about 5,000 combat uniforms in a factory in Afghanistan that we're modifying all the pants into board shorts. Oh, so they're gonna, nice. They're going to be legit combat uniforms that are now going to be done into shorts, and they're going to be made and put together by Afghan widows. I can't get a pair of them. I uh, totally I'm get a pair of them. Yeah, you, you got a customer here. I love them. I, I got to tell you, I think that the coolest product I've seen, and I, I mean, I, I, my flip flops are on the way, Griff. I got a pair of AK 47s in route, but but the coolest product I've seen anywhere in advertising recently is is the uh, Claymore bag. You know, we all carry Claymore bag with our tro- toiletries on them. Uh, I, I at one point probably had a stack of them in my garage. I know he's reaching for one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And um, if if we could get the word out to everybody who's not in the military, hey, how how what, what kind of utility we get out of a Claymore bag? I think they they're going to go across the country because yeah, you're really big in like five states, and so we've got to get you much bigger than that because there are veterans and military all over the country as well as outside the United States that are veterans. So uh, there's a real opportunity, and these are things that we're all accustomed to. Whether it's a flip flop, a Claymore bag, I'm making a note about board shorts right now. I'm yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and they're beautiful. They're so retro too. Awesome. They're super retro. Like you don't even have to be in the veteran community to think they're cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. I th- yeah, I'm gonna go. I've already been like shopping while you've been talking, so my husband's well, gonna be pissed. <laughs> we'll, do a, we'll do a mentor for military discount here um, awesome. at the end. We'll give all your awesome. listeners a discount. Oh, awesome! That would be really cool. So you can't be afraid. You either innovate or die. Um, and so it's all those things. Is we built product that we think that we like. Is like, hey, you know that would be cool. And everybody stands around and goes, yeah, that would be a cool product. Well, let's build it. Let's figure it out, right? And it's just kind of been our mentality. Does it does it fit with our mission statement? Does it help somebody affected by conflict? And does it does it help the consumers manufacture peace through trade? And is it cool? If it does all three of those, then we're going to make it. Yeah, so. I, that's what's so cool about your whole mission statement and how you're attacking this thing. Because you're right, most people would look at it from a business perspective and go, you know what, this just does not make sense. It's not within the model. And they would throw out all these other things of, no, 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 you're, you're putting too much feeling into the decision process. you got to take the emotion out of it. But you leave the emotion in. But that's Connection. what's stuck on Shark Tank, too, isn't it? Yeah. They, saw, they saw the good that you were actually doing you know, in Afghanistan, and, um, and they wanted to help. Yep. How many girls have, have gone to school just from your sales? Uh, I think this year, to date, we're right around 67. Um, and last year, we put it right around 60. So, you know, we're going to... F- 4x our, our educational our educational goals this year and I think we're already over 2,500 square meters of landmines I'd have to check the contribution numbers but that's what we cleared all last year so right around we're on track between four to five hundred percent growth this year wow that's incredible yeah I gotta tell just, you grip the, the education piece is what has me fired up about the about the company and your mission um, in 2010 ish I worked on the uh, Afghan National Police program out of the Pentagon and, and one of the things that we found is that the, the population that we were trying to employ could not read and write in their own language. We right. had to teach them basic skills to the sixth grade level to make them policemen because they've got to be able to write a report on anything that they go out there on. And, um, and to hear you talk about how the mother is the main influencer on pushing education to the families, I, I think that you're right. It's going to grow exponentially once, once that's really in place. And it's fantastic. I mean, a lot of people don't get it. We saw all those kids running around on the street in bare feet and no shoes and begging for money and doing 
you know, hauling stuff back and forth for cash. And the reason they're doing that is because, you know, dad's usually passed away. Mom right. can't read or write, can't be afforded a job. So that leaves the, the revenue generation on the kids. But if you give the mom an employable job, an employable wage, that means those kids can go to school. That's that you have to educate women. Like well, as soon as you do that, the majority of problems are going to go away. <laughs> I promise you. Yeah. When you're looking at you know a, a guy coming off of active duty, what do you think is the first step? If you had to kind of write a plan for him and say, all right, if I'm going to be mentoring you, this is what I would do if I had to do it all over again. I would first step this, second step this, third step. Is there a quick down and easy three step, five step Griff plan yep. for a business? I would take everything in your house that you haven't touched in a year, and I would sell it or give it away. Get rid of it all. I would save up enough cash to do nothing for about six months, and I would do that. I would do nothing. <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm telling you. That's what I recommend to every single veteran that's getting out. And the, the, the reason why I say this is, you know, you usually come out, you're 18 or 19 years old. You haven't really been developed into your own man yet. Uh, you go through the military where you're underneath somebody else's direction for a number of years, and you know, you're coming out of a really high, stressful environment, and you're going to need that time to yourself to really figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life and not listen to everybody else tell you what you want to do with the rest of your life. Yeah. Take the time, slow down, build yourself that buffer, and really just find out what appeals to you. Um, the line that Robert, I Robert, you know this is speaking to my heart. Yeah, I know it is. I can see you kind of fidgeting there. Off grip. I mean, it's just been fantastic for me to sit back, to, to enjoy time with my family, my grandkids, and to, and to look forward at what I want to do next instead of just kind of be forced into finding employment just to, just to get by. Especially yep. to what you know in the military. It goes all the way back to that. It's like you don't have to be limited to your military experience. Like you, like you said, take that six months, really find out who you are, not who the Army made you or the military made you into, and find your passion, whether it be flip-flops or podcasts. So, no, that's great advice. Both yeah, of those are my passion, cat. Flip-flops and podcasts? Yes. <laughs> well, the, the line that I tell most people is uh, it's who you were, not who you are. Right? There's a lot of dudes who slung a lot of lead and stacked bodies in World War II, and they were right. you know badass rangers and OSS guys and all those other cats. But they came back, and they were community leaders. They were you know politicians. They were governors. They were factory managers. They were store owners. And that's really what made them the greatest generation. It wasn't the four or five years they fought in the war. It's what they did in the, the, the 50 afterward, right? And that's, I think, what right now is a, as a veteran community that we need to be focused on. It's not what we've done over the past 14, 15 years. It's we're gonna, what we're going to do in the next 40 to 50. Especially in today's society, how so many people are in the, they have the mentality that of entitlement. And I think, you know, it comes both on the civilian side and the, the military side. When you come back, it's like you're just supposed to be given all these opportunities where it's, that's not the case. So... It goes a lot into what the Green Beret Foundation is doing as well. And, and you know, there, there's a lot of guys out there, both in, in Ranger Regiment and NSF, who think that, uh, you know, the job is really freaking cool. And um, and it's probably the best they're ever going to be. I mean, it, it's as cool as you will ever be, right? And, and, and they're okay with that. So when they get out uh, or retire or, or just ETS, they, they, they settle for something that may not be up to their capabilities. And I think that you're exactly right, Griff, with the, the guys that returned from World War II, their best days of their life were ahead of them, not behind them. And, and you know, the way we look at that, they're the greatest generation. So they certainly had some great days in their youth. But I think we need to really change the shift of the way our veterans today are thinking and that our, our best days are not behind us, but they're still ahead of us. We've got a lot to offer the community as leaders, 
Um, it, it's just finding the right role in which to fill it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when those guys came back from World War II and they, they built the Corvette and they landed on the moon. Yeah, right. <laughs> Corvette. <laughs> I'm building a Corvette to go to the I live in Colorado right now, and they so. built all the ski resorts, Griff, so I love them. Yeah, I mean, just think about what we're going to do. Think about all the technology and the, and the network that we have available to us. I really think that our community in the next 40 or 50 years is going to do some amazing things. Is We just have to resolve that we're going to go do them. That's a that's a great point. So I mean, it's, it's a fact about finding your passion and your purpose and stuff, and then going out and executing, not waiting for somebody to give it to you on a silver platter. Because you know, like we have mentioned to you before, or mentioned about your story, you went out there and worked for it. Griff didn't all of a sudden fall into combat flip flops, and I mean, when you when you talk about that, that's through blood, sweat, and tears. That just that didn't come by sitting back and waiting for the customers to pick up the phone or start coming to. To you, you had to go out and get them as well. There was some hard yeah, work got, that went in that. You, you got to earn it. I mean, the listeners aren't going to see this video, but essentially I'm sitting in this uninsulated garage right here, and I've spent – it's got no windows in it. It's got one heater over there in the corner, and I spent three years in this garage in front of a computer trying to make this thing happen. But the only way that you're going to do it is you just got to outwork somebody else. That's it. And if you're willing to put the time in, you're going to be successful. And I, I really think that's why a lot of soft guys do well in entrepreneurship is because they have such a long pipeline where they just have to suffer for not, you know, eight weeks, but sometimes it's up to like two years <laughs> right. before they see that. Over they, and like, over the, and over again. <laughs> before they see the first bit of success. And it's going to be another, you know, six or seven years until they're really at the apex of their game grinding. And those guys understand that if I'm going to get in a business, yeah, I'm going to have to suck for the first two to three years, and then I'm going to start seeing success about year three or year four, but I'm going to really start hitting my stride about year six or year seven. And we've just got that long-term mentality in us in order to be able to do that. And I, that's why I really think that veterans, specifically soft guys, do well as entrepreneurs. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Griff. For those that are listening in, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. This ensures you never miss a show. Take a few minutes to rate our show on iTunes and leave a comment. Love to hear from you. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, be sure to go out there and shop Combat Foot Flops. You look at all the material that they have there and pick up uh, two or three things, as a matter of fact, so that we can uh, support our veteran community. I think that's what it's all about as well, is trying to reach out and support each other. Thanks again, Griff, uh, for being on, on the show with us and taking time out of your busy schedule and having to sit there in the garage and sweat and everything during the show. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, speaking of supporting the military community, uh, we're going to do a 20% Mentors for Military discount code. So it's Mentors for Military, all one word, all lowercase, 20% discount. Uh, and that'll go between now and the end of May. Wow, that's awesome. awesome. I really appreciate Thanks. you extending in that. I'll be on there today, as a matter of fact, and I think Mike and Cat will as well. I hope, I hope the board shorts are available by the end of May. So. No, they will not be available by the end of May. We've got some interns grinding those out. But, uh, yeah, hey, also follow us on social, everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's all at Combat Flip Flops. So if you want to follow us on social, that's where to hit us. Absolutely. Once again, thanks, Greg, for being on the show. And so on behalf of Mike and Cat, hope you have a good one, and we'll catch you guys up on the next podcast.